I often emphasize the fact that, uh, you know, we're instruments of his work, and it's Christ living in us that makes it our work. It's not our personality or charm or education or intelligence. We can uh, all be vessels of his um, redemptive activity. Hi, everyone, and welcome to First Person, a weekly conversation with a guest whose life teaches all of us what it means to follow God's calling and experience His faithfulness. I'm Wayne Shepherd, and my guest this week is Jerry Wiles, who is President Emeritus of Living Water International. Jerry is passionate about sharing the gospel with everyone he meets and will talk to us today about sharing our faith through stories and questions. I hope that you find these weekly insights from various guests to be helpful as you think about God's faithfulness in your own life. And anytime you'd like to hear an interview a second time or recommend it for listening to someone else, you can come to our website, firstpersoninterview.com. The Listen Now button takes you to the archive of all of our past programs. Again, we're found online at firstpersoninterview.com. Jerry Wiles has a natural and effective way of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with people he meets on a daily basis. We'll learn about that from Jerry today, but the day we talked happened to be the day of his own father's funeral, and I asked him first to talk about his dad. Well, he's almost 86 years old. Um, He was 21 years older than me. He was a, a World War II veteran. He was wounded in World War II and almost lost his right arm and his right leg. He was in a body cast for nine months. The doctors told him that he would never walk again. They wanted to amputate his right leg, but he wouldn't sign the papers. Uh, and so uh, he did walk again. He was discharged with 70% disability, but he had a full ministry. He was active uh, for most of his uh, career as a pastor. He was bivocational, he, so he did different jobs. But he pastored churches mostly in the North Arkansas, some in Missouri, for uh, almost 60 years. And so he has had a, a great uh, impact. Uh, we were had the visitation yesterday evening, and um, just hearing the testimonies of people who have been impacted by his life, it's just very encouraging. Of course, I'm, my own life has been greatly impacted by his, So, but he's, he's had a great uh, ministry and uh, great family. So we're rejoicing that he is with the Lord and We'll all be together again someday. Hmm. What do you admire most about your dad, Jerry? Well, you know, I'm, I'm going to share this at the funeral today because I was telling my dad last week when he could communicate better, and we, we had this conversation. I was thinking about observing his life over these years and the things I've seen and heard from him. Uh, when I joined the Air Force, I graduated high school, joined the Air Force in 1968, and my dad Seeing me off to the Air Force, he said, son, I want to tell you something. I want you to always remember this. Uh, Whatever's going on in your life, I want you to know that all things work together for good to those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. Well, at the age of 18, I was not a biblical scholar and wasn't even biblically very literate. So (laughs) years passed, I would think about that verse, and I'd say, where is that? Where is that? (laughs) Of course, I figured out it was Romans 8.28, but I've thought about that experience and that conversation I had with him probably thousands of times, and I've talked about it, I've shared it, you know, used it as sermon illustrations over the years, but, and then putting in context and preaching on that passage, that all things are working together for good to those who love the Lord are called according to his purpose, but then the next verse talks about being conformed to the image of Christ, Mm -hmm. and uh, 
my dad really demonstrated uh, the life and the teachings and the the spirit of Jesus about as much as anyone I've I've known in my lifetime. So um, that's a very memorable thing about him and his life, and just seeing it worked out in his, in, in over these years. Jerry, the death of a loved one always uh, impacts us, and it's painful. Of course, uh, we know that your dad is with the Lord, and that we rejoice in that. But for a man especially lose his father. My own father died and was buried on my 50th birthday. Um, do you have any feelings about maybe uh, stepping up now? I mean, I'm, you've been in leadership a long time, but maybe your life has changed a little bit? Well, I'm sure I don't know exactly how much it will change, but um, I'm sure it will. And uh, my dad was the, the firstborn of seven children in his family. I'm the firstborn in uh, uh, in, in our family. My son, Jonathan, is a firstborn, and he's here with us, and his little boy, Elliot, is two years old, his firstborn. And we were just reminiscing yesterday. We had a picture of my dad, me, my son, and his son, four generations. And um, I was looking back, uh, I remember uh, about 34 years ago, we got a picture of my granddad and my dad and me and then my son. So it's interesting just to, to think about how God passes the, the torch from one generation to another. So I, I do feel like, you know, that God's um, somehow has a new season of ministry for me. And, you know, I'm 64 years old, and some people ask me sometimes, you know, well, what do you think about retirement? Are you you're thinking about retiring? I tell people, no, I'm not thinking about retiring. I'm thinking about retreading. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we don't find the R word in the Bible. And I'm, I'm, I'm transitioning into a new phase now. I've served as president of Living Water International for uh, a little over seven years. And just recently, we have a new president and CEO. And the, the board's given me the title of president emeritus. I'm still on staff, still doing what I've been doing, but but fewer things. But I'm focused more on now on spiritual mentoring, outreach strategy, orality, personal evangelism, and that kind of thing. So I'll be be doing more writing, radio program production, and uh, and speaking. So it's just a new season and new opportunities. But I'm I'm planning to stay in ministry as long as the Lord gives me breath and health. Planning to speak at your own father's funeral today, Jerry. You've got to be thinking about what you think about a lot, and that is the legacy of passing our faith on and and telling people our story of faith and witnessing for Christ. Actually, you've written a book about this called No Greater Joy. I want to talk about that, but. What's what's the the main thing that you want to communicate about the necessity of sharing our faith and talking to others? Well, you know, I think, uh, as I say often, and I'm not sure who I heard this, but somebody else said this. Most everything I, I say or know I heard from somebody else. So, <laughs> But, you know, the gospel came to us on the way to someone else. <laughs> and, you know, we're to be vessels. We're to be channels of God's activity. We're to be instruments of his righteousness. So uh, back in the uh, in the early 70s, the Lord really did a significant transformation in my own life. I began to share the Lord, began to see people come to Christ. And so I've been on that journey since then. I've written uh, four books actually on the subject, the most recent, uh, No Greater Joy. I tell people I keep writing it, hoping I'll get it right someday. <laughs> but it's mostly, you know, what the Lord's been doing in my life um, and about the people who've influenced me and about uh, eternal principles, uh, timeless insights in sharing our life in Christ, because the message uh, never changes. You know, 
but the methods and the strategies can change with different cultures and different worldviews and different language groups and all that. But uh, it's just an amazing journey, and I believe uh, still the the best is yet to be. Jerry, in your role with Living Water, you do a lot of traveling, and you're seeing something around the world, a, a movement towards what is called orality. Explain what orality is. It's, it's really the, the old matter of just talking about our faith, right? Well, it, it is, and the orality movement, or some would call it an orality phenomena, uh, really has emerged over the past 25 or 30 years, but actually over the past, uh, past five or 10 years, it's become a very significant movement changing the face of missions worldwide and a new recognition that uh, the majority of the world is and always has been primarily oral learners, oral communicators, people who can't, don't, or won't read. Of course, uh, 70% of the world's population today, according to experts, that's about 4 billion people, would be considered oral learners. Uh, Some people use the term uh, primary oral learners or Secondary oral learners, the broader term is oral preference learners. And so there's been a new recognition that we've been using in the Western world about 90% of our communication and ministry style and resources is based on a highly literate style. So oral cultures think differently, learn differently, and communicate differently. So this movement is around stories and questions. It's about using parables and building relationships and community. Of course, our best model uh, for that is Jesus himself. Uh, Most of the people in the times of Jesus, scholars say around 90% of people, didn't have access to scriptures they could sit down and read for themselves. They were, it it was an oral culture. So as we rediscover the ancient methods of communication and oral uh, methods um, it's it's really having a phenomenal effect around the world. The International Orality Network, which is now um, two or three hundred organizations have become a part of that. Most every major mission organization has big, began incorporating oral strategies, storying. So the last the uh, chapters fourteen and fifteen of No Greater Joy deal with this orality phenomena and the stories and the questions and the process and the training that we're doing in uh, Latin America and Africa and Asia. So we're seeing some phenomenal results from from shifting to this strategy instead of just giving Bibles and using technology. is getting back to first century, how did Jesus make disciples? Coming up in a moment, we'll continue this conversation with Jerry Wiles about using stories to talk about the good news of Jesus Christ. Next week, we'll talk with longtime pastor and author Warren Wearsby. Paul wrote to Timothy, and he said, Now the things that you've heard from me, you tell other people so they can tell other people. And in my writing and my preaching, all I've done is say, Here's what God has taught me. Take it. See what you can do with it. He tells it like it is and always has. His autobiography is titled, Be Myself. We'll talk with Warren Wearsby when you join us next week on First Person. Let's continue today's program. The orality movement is all about getting back to the idea of simply using stories to communicate the gospel. Jerry Wiles thinks this is a very positive development. Well, this has given us a handle and a new emphasis. And in fact, my uh, personal involvement with uh, this movement was actually before it was a movement 
And actually, before orality was even a very common missiological term, I was involved in back in the 80s in developing something we called oral discipleship. This was a strategy to evangelize and disciple non-reading people of the world. And I became aware of, through a book I read back in the, those days that I got at the U.S. Center for World Mission, uh, called Oral Communication of the Scriptures, uh, African uh, Insights into African Oral Art, Herbert Klim. That book really influenced me to begin to think about how we're going to take the message to the ends of the earth, make disciples of all nations, in light of the fact that there are many people in the world, many people groups, who do not have a written language. So how are we going to reach those people? So I began to ask those questions and begin to brainstorm with some mission leaders and ask the question, how much does a person need to know to come to a relationship with Jesus? And how much and what do they need to know? And what's the best delivery system? And how much and what do they need to know to become a fruitful, productive disciple or follower of Jesus? When we answer those questions, we've got something that we can take to the ends of the earth. What you help me see in your book, Jerry, is the, the question that you ask, am I a witness? The, the real question needs to be asked, what kind of witness am I? Because if we have Christ living in us, we are a witness already. Just what kind, right? Well, I often tell people we, as believers and followers of Jesus, we either, mis- we either represent him or we misrepresent him. <laughs> and unfortunately, sometimes we, we misrepresent him, but we are his witnesses. He didn't say go witness. He said, you shall be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the un- to the uttermost parts of the earth. So we are his witnesses, and we just need to discover how that's going to be expressed in our own unique personalities and how... Uh, the fact that Jesus Christ living within us, as we uh, discover in, in uh, Colossians one uh, twenty seven and Galatians 2.20, two very foundational verses, to discovering uh, the reality of Jesus Christ living his life in us. And I often remind people that we have the same God who lived in, uh, the same God who lived in Jesus Christ now lives in us. And um, so he's not looking for our ability, but our availability. It's not our scholarship as much as our relationship. So uh, we have a level playing ground when it comes to kingdom activity that, that God will use each and every one of us to be a witness as we relate ourselves to him and discover how to to trust and obey. It's, uh, it's not as complicated as we've come to think of it in the simplicity and the power of, of the gospel, the word of God, and telling stories about Jesus, how the Holy Spirit touches people's hearts and changes their lives, and he'll use each of us and all of us in that process. Jerry, you're so good at starting up these conversations with people and turning that to the Lord. Uh, How do they generally react to you when you do that? Well, over the years, I've learned if I ask a general, non-threatening question and really try to relate to a person, get to know them just a little bit, even if it's in a brief conversation, is uh, connecting with people, asking questions, and listening to people. And uh, I tell people we need to listen to people, and we need to listen to the Holy Spirit. And then we begin to fill in the gaps. So as we listen and as we uh, know something about our, our, our audience, whether it's an audience of one or, uh, or an audience of thousands, uh, whether it's on an airplane or in a restaurant or you know, in the neighborhood, whether it's family, neighbors, coworkers, or friends, asking questions and listening, and then often we'll have uh, something to say that will open up a conversation that uh, we can share the gospel. But why are we so reticent to follow through on that? We, we might be bold enough to start the conversation, 
but we don't know how to, I guess, in sales terms, close the sale, do we? Well, I think there's two big challenges, uh, approaching people, engaging them in a conversation, and then bringing it to a point of uh, closure, to uh, drawing the net, I call it, uh, uh, bringing a person to make a decision and respond to the message. And that there's some simple things, and the book covers multitude of those experiences. I've learned a lot from people over the years, and but I tell people I've learned more by doing it than I ever have listening to a lecture or a sermon or reading a book. So help us do a better job at verbally sharing our faith. Well, when you ask a question like, um, have you been thinking more about the Lord lately? I've asked that question over the years to many people. And it's amazing how many people will say something like, well, you know, it's interesting that you brought that up, and then they'll share something about their life. Or I might ask them if they've had a more, uh, uh, you know, in interest in uh, spiritual things in their life in you know, recent times, or if they've noticed any signs of spiritual awakening. Those are pretty non-threatening general questions. The way they answer that first question gives me a clue, and then I can ask a more personal, penetrating question. Like, what about you? Have you come to know Jesus, Jesus in a personal way? Or I might share a testimony, uh, something like, I might say, you know, I've noticed that increasing number of people are becoming interested in the Lord and spiritual things. Have you noticed that? They will either say yes or no, and however they answer, I might just ask them. Uh, you know, I might, I might say I've noticed how people are more interested in personal, intimate relationship with God, and they're not so interested in religious rituals and traditions, but really knowing God in a personal way. And so that comment, those questions, open up many times, and, and I can lead them through, find out how much they know about the gospel first, and then fill in the gaps, and then just invite them to respond to the gospel. Do we make it more complicated than it really is? I think we have, and, and there's a fear. You know, we have preconceived ideas, negative stereotypes. We have this mental image many times of how people might respond if we take the initiative, so we never take the initiative. But once we break the ice and kind of step out and uh, engage people, um, and, of course, we learn from example and demonstration, and we learn from participation. So I've had some good mentors over the years and seen how they do it. And if I can see somebody do something, I probably can figure out how to do it, or at least try it. <laughs> Jerry, I think we can learn from your example. Can you think of a, a story, an episode, where you've actually struck up a conversation very casually, and it turned to the Lord, and that person turned to the Lord? Well, uh, there there are numerous of those kind of things. I just think of one particular one that sticks in my mind. I was on a plane um, to uh, the East Coast a few years ago when I, I asked one of those kind of questions to a lady on the plane, and she said, well, you know, uh, I'm going to my father's funeral. She was on a plane going to her father's funeral, and she just opened up to me and, and real brokenness began to, to share some really hurt and pain in her life. And that she had been thinking about, you know, where she's going to spend eternity. She was thinking about her dad. And so it just opened up a wonderful conversation. We, I had two hours to talk about the Lord, share the gospel. We had prayer together. And by the time we landed, I introduced her to someone in, in baggage claim and said, you know, you might be interested to know that, I mentioned her name, just received the Lord Jesus into her life. And she opened up and shared about that. So those kind of encounters are out there. I think there's more lost people that are ready to respond to the gospel if they're given an appropriate uh, witness and opportunity uh, than there are 
believers that are actually act, actively, intentionally reaching out to share the gospel. And I think we'd see an amazing thing happen if we just become more intentional, more proactive, and seeking to, to reach people like in, that, in those ways. I wonder, too, if we aren't um, hesitant about sharing our faith because we're afraid that if we do lead someone to Christ, then there's a responsibility on our part to follow through with that person. What do you, what do, you do about that? <clears throat> well, uh, there's a chapter in the book on that. <laughs> you know, you, you don't always have the opportunity to personally follow up with everyone you might share the gospel with. Uh, they may not, you know, if it's traveling or it's, it's somewhere in uh, a different place. But I try to get them connected with someone who will nurture and encourage them, try to get them connected with a church or a, a fellowship of some sort. Uh, those I can follow up with, I try to encourage them in different ways and and personally disciple those that I'm, I'm able to. But if I can get them connected with a, a group of believers somewhere and get someone to connect them with a, with a body, uh, whether it's a, just a Bible study group or a, a church somewhere or a Sunday school class, uh, that's important, and that's the nurturing and the follow-up part of the discipleship. So... You know, it's. Uh, I believe that, and I mentioned this in the book. God has a, a tailor-made strategy and and way of approaching people, and He also has a tailor-made way of following up. You find that in Scripture, different people were followed up in different ways. So I don't worry too much about the exact follow-up plan until after I I've, I've shared with them. And my main objective is to introduce them to a living relationship with the living Christ when they belong to Him. You know, the Lord will give direction on how that's going to work out. I've got many examples I'll share if we had time, but uh, just some amazing things happen in how the Lord can bring people around and nurture and mature them. A final word of encouragement, to just go do it. Jerry, what would you say to us? Well, to just go do it is a pretty good way of, of putting it, but I would say, you know, when you uh, hear these stories and you read the book, and I do a, produce a radio program, it's just a little brief, short feature sound bites telling examples. Often people have told me, you know, the story you told about that encounter with a person prompted me to try it, and they did it, and they said it worked. I remember telling a story about um, a, a, a janitorial staff person that I had shared the gospel with, and I described that situation and. Years later, I heard a man, a man told me, he said, I heard that story and said, I thought I'll try that next time I have the opportunity. So, you know, it's not something that's just unique with, with me. I mean, it's something that God can do through anyone. And I, I often emphasize the fact that, uh, you know, we're instruments of his work and it's Christ living in us that makes it all work. It's not our personality or charm or education or intelligence. It's, we can uh, all be vessels of his um, redemptive activity. As we've learned from Jerry today, we can naturally lead any conversation into an opportunity to talk about the Lord. We've placed a link with more information about Jerry's book, No Greater Joy, at our website, firstpersoninterview.com. First Person is designed to listen and learn from various people as they talk about how God has prepared them and led them to serve him. And today's interview will be archived at our website, firstpersoninterview.com, along with all previous interviews. And there's a calendar of upcoming guests online as well at firstpersoninterview.com. Next week, I hope you'll join us for a conversation with longtime pastor and author Warren Wearsby. Dr. Wearsby's in his 80s now, but still actively writing and mentoring from his home in Lincoln, Nebraska. We'll talk about his life story and God's faithfulness when you join us next week on First Person. 
Now with thanks to my friend and producer Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepherd. See you next time on First Person. <laughs>